Due to adult content, parental discretion is advised. To begin. To begin. Are you watching closely? How to start. I just, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? In Life Itself, a memoir, Roger Ebert begins. I was born inside the movie of my life. I was born a poor black child. The visuals were before me. I was born in it. The audio surrounded me. Molded by it. The plot unfolded inevitably, but not necessarily. I don't remember how I got into the movie, but it continues to entertain me. At first, the frames flicker without connection. We all are born with a certain package. We are who we are. Where we were born, who we were born as, how we were raised. We're kind of stuck inside that person. And the purpose of civilization and growth is to be able to reach out and empathize a little bit with other people. And for me, the movies are like a machine that generates empathy. It lets you understand a little bit more about different hopes, aspirations, dreams, and fears. It helps us to identify with the people who are sharing this journey with us. Here's the deal. You just give me the facts. Just the facts. Only the facts. Breathe. Focus. Keep it simple. No, no, no. No doubt. No doubt. Okay. Welcome to Cock and Bull Movie Talk. What used to be a Tristram Shandy story. In which, apparently, obviously, we don't talk about Tristram Shandy minute by minute. But isn't that the point? Good Lord, what is this story all about? Cock and Bull story. Here's your host, me, Professor Robert E. G. Black. Yeah. So then there's the thing. What's left? In the bracket, 64. Yeah, why not? Maybe. See if I can do it. But I have things to say still about Stand By Me. Is the show just the Stand By Me read from the blog from last year show? I guess so. That's how it ends. That's how it fizzles. Not with a bang, but a whisper. Groundhog Day Project Day 1386. Monday, 18th May 2020. If your friends drag you down. I was going to move on from Stand By Me after yesterday, but as I was posting the blog entry and the film was ending, a detail caught my attention. And having looked again at the book, it stood out. At the end of the film, narrator Gordy explains, As time went on, we saw less and less of Teddy and Vern. Until eventually, they became just two more faces in the halls. It happens sometimes. Friends come in and out of your life like busboys in a restaurant. I heard that Vern got married out of high school, had four kids, and is now the forklift operator at the Arsenault Lumberyard. In a book, Vern was killed in a house fire that swept the Lewiston apartment building in 1966. Someone fell asleep in one of the bedrooms with a live cigarette going. Vern himself, maybe, drifting off, dreaming of his pennies. At the beginning of the school year, he had buried a quart jar of pennies underneath his house. He drew a treasure map so he could find them again. A week later, his mom cleaned out his room and threw away the map. Vern had been trying to find those pennies for nine months. Nine months, man. He didn't know whether to laugh or cry. They identified him and the four others who died by their teeth. The story of the body takes place in 1960. So Vern died when he was only about 18. He married no one. He had no kids. He operated no forklift. Teddy tried several times to get into the army, but his eyes and his ear kept him out. Last I'd heard, he'd spent some time in jail and was now doing odd jobs around Castle Rock. Book Teddy died in a car crash in 1971, or maybe it was early 1972. 
The Air Force had turned him down, and he was classified 4F by the draft. He had some problems at school, but managed to graduate. He drove his old Chevrolet Bel Air full of a new circle of friends, passing around a couple of joints and a couple of bottles of pop-off, into a utility pole, and the Chevrolet rolled six times. One girl came out technically still alive. Six months later, they pulled the plug on her respirator. Chris did get out. Castle Rock. He enrolled in the college courses with me, and although it was hard, he gutted it out like he always did. But Chris had trouble with the college courses. He had to play catch-up after not being that great a student before. One example, before he could even begin to understand introductory algebra, he had to relearn the fractions that he and Teddy and Vernon played pocket pool through in the fifth grade. And Gordy explains, Neither of us made top honors, but I came out seventh and Chris stood nineteenth. We were both accepted at the University of Maine, but I went to the Arono campus while Chris enrolled at the Portland campus. Pre-law. Can you believe that? And then we get that passage I quoted the other day. We both dated through high school, but no girl ever came between us. Does that sound like we went... It would have to most of our old friends, Vern and Teddy included, but it was only survival. We were clinging to each other in deep water. I've explained about Chris, I think. My reasons for clinging to him were less definable. His desire to get away from Castle Rock and out of the mill's shadow seemed to me to be my best part, and I could not just leave him to sink or swim on his own. If he had drowned, that part of me would have drowned with him, I think. Before we get to the dream, Group 1, the stories we tell disappearance of Eleanor Rigby Her. Stories we tell wins. I won't spoil it here because I'm not talking about it in detail, but the thing that makes this documentary unique is a thing that I love. The first time I saw it, I was blown away. Group two, the fountain, the gray. Since this bracket ain't happening properly, I'm pushing them both forward. They're both about death and grief and persevering anyway. Group five, everything is illuminated. Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Fuck it. Push them both. A very different film. But Everything is Illuminated was probably the last of those, because I don't have proper cable TV anymore, probably the last of those movies where if I saw it on cable at night, I'd stay up and watch the rest of it. Just have to. And Hedwig is so deep and meaningful about identity and figuring out who you are, despite trauma, despite lack of choice. Group 7. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang Zero Effect. Zero Effect wins. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is entertaining as fuck, but Zero Effect, there's something in Daryl Zero and his fucked up inability to be normal that I love. Group 12. The assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford into the wild. <sighs> Pushing them both because they they last for very, very different reasons. A melancholic deconstruction of the Western and an inspirational tragedy, about a tr- both based on true stories. Yeah, keep them. Group 18, hearts beat loud, never look away. Oh, these shouldn't even be in a bracket together. They're two such different films. A Polish film about art and socialism and the Holocaust. And a lighthearted but sad comedy about a father and a daughter having one last thing together before she goes off to college. Fuck it, keep them both. So, I'll cross out the winners, the losers, I'll announce what the top whatever number is. Next time, consider this episode an interlude regarding my favorite film in six parts, parts four, five, and six. I love stories we tell because it's about how we tell stories differently, and we invent what the story is because memory is recreated every time we bring it back, every time we enact it. I love Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby primarily because of the two different versions of the same story. I picked her above him, kind of on a whim, but mostly because, in her, 
the main through line is that she's finding something new in her life to get past the grief. In him, he's dealing with troubles from the past to get past his grief. Hers is more positive. It's more of a growing experience, it seems. I think that's why I like it more. The Fountain. Poetic visuals. Great story. Multiple timelines. Might or might not be real. Wonderful. The Grey. <sighs> Fighting off mortality. One step at a time. Maybe accepting it, but struggling, 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 no matter. Into the Wild, similar. Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford is similar. Everything is illuminated. It's dealing with death and memory, and these are the things I like. Zero effect is personal. Feel it, that character, that way of the world, seeing things, and it doesn't matter if you see them, because what's the point? He's a detective. It works for him. I'm not. Hearts Beat Loud made me sad. Never Look Away made me sad. These are movies that touched me in the theater and couldn't wait to watch them again sometime. As a movie should be. So many of these deal with grief. We lose people, so back to Gordy. Back to drowning. And I should explain Gordy's drowning dream. The movie puts Gordy's struggle very specifically in terms of grief over his brother. But that is just one piece of it in the book. The dream he has the night they camp in the woods is not about Denny's funeral, but about swimming at White's Beach. A gravel pit in Brunswick that had been turned into a miniature lake when the gravel diggers struck water. He and Chris are swimming. Chris starts to go under. Looking into the clear water, I could see two bloated, naked corpses holding his ankles. One was Vern, and the other was Teddy, and their open eyes were as blank and pupilless as the eyes of Greek statues. But instead of diving down and trying to save him, I stroked madly for the shore, or at least a place where the water could not be over my head. A hand grabs Gordy's calf, Teddy's, and Gordy wakes up. When book narrator Gordy says that line, Friends come in and out of your life like busboys in a restaurant, he adds, Did you ever notice that? But when I think of that dream, the corpse is under the water pulling implacably at my legs. It seems right that it should be that way. Some people drown. That's all. It's not fair, but it happens. Some people drown. Through high school, Gordy clung to Chris, and vice versa, because there was no one else. They had already drifted away from Teddy and Vern and the other wet ends that were in their gang but get no mention in the film. And then they go off to separate campuses, and it's almost to the point of the film's narration. He went on to college and eventually became a lawyer. Last week, he entered a fast food restaurant. Just ahead of him, two men got into an argument. One of them pulled a knife. Chris, who had always made the best piece, tried to break it up. He was stabbed in the throat. He died almost instantly. Although I hadn't seen him in more than ten years, I don't want to miss him forever. The thing is, it hadn't been ten years. Chris died near the end of 1971, about the same time Teddy did. And it matters that book narrator Gordy isn't clear on the time of Teddy's death, for example. The movie paints these four like the best of friends, but they were just four of a larger group who stuck together to play cards, to smoke, to drink, and have a good time. In a way, the film version is more powerful because it positions these four closer together, and especially puts Gordy and Chris up against each other. It paints a picture of adolescent boys who are more than stereotypical boys especially set in a post-World War II world, with Korea mostly behind Vietnam ahead, that these boys actually care about one another matters. But then the movie ruins it with that line. I hadn't seen him in more than ten years. The book doesn't make so much room for these last two, Gordy and Chris, to drift so far apart as to not even remember exactly when the other died. The film, for no particular reason, sets the framing segments with the writer, specifically in 1985. And this does leave a hole in the history. If it has been 25 years since they found Ray Brower, and nearly two decades since Gordy and Chris left town for college, it makes it even more tragic that Gordy has lost contact with all three of them. 
and especially Chris. Gordy is married for a year and a half already in the present of 1971 in a book, and he is teaching high school English. His wife is pregnant. He is trying to write a book, and then he sees the headline, Student Fatally Stabbed in Portland Restaurant. Not the headline from the film, of course, because in 1985, Chris is long past being a student, and he and Gordy have long ago gone their separate ways. And I imagine that, sitting there at the side of the road, the writer is imagining this story more than remembering it in order to invoke an idea of the friends he once had. I never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was 12. Jesus, does anyone? It's a nice thought. Made weaker when you really think about the film's version of the timing, how long it has been since they were friends. And also, this has a lot to do with me going to private school and not the public school a block from the house where I grew up. I never had friends when I was 12 like the ones Gordy imagined he had. Jesus, did anyone? And I could end with that cynical attempting cleverness. But the point is not the specific friends, but the relationships in general you can form at that age, the way things are so simple and everything is possible, but you don't even realize it until you're older and it's too late. Will Wheaton said in an interview with NPR, Stand by me. It sort of talks about this time in your life that feels incredibly complicated, but as you get older you realize it's actually incredibly simple. And we get the tremendous gift of not knowing that it's never going to be like that again for the rest of our lives. So it's just pure, and it's uncomplicated, and it's a time that stays with us even as we become adults. That's better. Cut. Perfect. Thank you for listening. This has been Cockable Movie Talk. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter or Facebook at Cockable Minute or check lemondrops.com for links. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a Mandalorian. Why would you create such an abomination? This is the weapon of a coward. The, uh... It's a past stuff that dreams are made of. Cut. That's a wrap. It's over, Johnny. It's over. Nothing is over. Nothing. You just don't turn it off. Shut up. Shut the fuck. You're all right to take. Shut up. Will you shut up? Shut up. Shut. 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 Shut up. You're still here. Shut up. Now. It's over. Go home. Go.